Welcome to Don't Shrink Back, the podcast. Hebrews 10.39 says, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's where the title Don't Shrink Back comes from. This podcast is designed to embolden you, encourage you, and let you know that there are other people out there who are standing up for what's right. They're taking moral stands, spiritual stands, cultural stands, and fighting back against what they see as wrong, fighting back against government overreach or for their faith or against any kind of mandates. These are the people who are making a difference. Check out don'tshrinkback.com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, don't shrink back. On don'tshrinkback.com, you can find where we're located during the week where the videos appear of this podcast. So without further ado, let's get right Welcome into it. Welcome to Don't Shrink Back. I'm Heidi Harris. Uh, so excited especially about today, because Katie Faust joins me. She's got a new book out. I'm telling you, everyone has to read this. This is the book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Now, when you see the title, you may think, oh, it's just about telling kids about politics and this and that. No, 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 no. You miss it if that's what you think. This is a great book. Katie Faust is here. How are you? Good to see you again. It's so good to be back with you. Thank you so much. I'm always so grateful for your unflinching, unwavering voice. And it's a joy to be able to talk with you about this book. Really what this book is, is how do you inculcate your values in your children? Yes. Even if nobody is on board with you, even if the schools are against you and media is against you, even if you don't have extended family that's in you, even if you're in like the bluest of the blue city, like we are, even if your kids are going to woke public schools like ours are, okay, you can do this. You totally can do this. Your children are not doomed, but it is up to you. Right. And so that's what it is. It's really like timeless parenting principles that we're applying to our current day moment, our current day insane cultural moment. And so we kind of lay out these principles on like, how can you do this? And you can. But one of the most important points is what you just touched on is you have to talk to your children about these things first. And that's right. not to say that you violate their innocence by going all out and you oh, know, no, getting not. graphic about, you know, gay sex or something like that when they're five. That's not what we're talking about. Mm. What we're talking about is we do talk about appropriately sheltering your children from a lot of these crooked ideas, especially in the elementary school years. Right. But even then you have to be the one that introduces these concepts to them. Why? Because whoever children hear something from first, they automatically consider the expert. Right. And they will go back to that person again and again and again oh, for more information. Geez. And you are the person they need to go back to for more information about socialism or the 1619 Project and distorted American history right. or homosexuality or transgenderism, you know, or communism or whatever it is. Like, they need to know that you know so that when they hear about it, they go to you for follow-up information. Absolutely. So, so, so important. And one of the things that you talked about in the book is raising adults capable, once again, of defending what they are for. And mm -hmm. I put a quote on Twitter yesterday that you had had in the book about how you're preparing your children for the road, not the road for your children. We're not advocating for throwing your children to the wolves when they're seven. Of course not. We are saying in whatever way possible, right? You are so we've sort of laid out the book in three developmental stages. We followed the trivium process that is sort of outlined in the classical education model, which is like grammar, logic, rhetoric. So in the grammar phase, that's mostly elementary school. Mm -hmm. That is the time where you saturate them in truth and beauty. They don't have the critical thinking abilities to filter out damaging and distorted ideologies. Mm -hmm. You filter that as much as possible. And you can do that in a lot of ways, even if they're in public school, right? Filter that out. There's a lot of control that you have. And then 
they hit that logic phase. And that is when in middle school, where suddenly their critical thinking skills do kick in and they say, but wait a second, how do we know that's right? Are you sure about that? But what if you're wrong? And that is just proof positive that it is time to what we do, we say that's the great equipping. That is when we are going to now introduce you to the crooked ideas of the world. You're going to know more. I tell my middle schoolers, I'm like, you are going to know more about all of this than all of your friends. That's you right. will be the authority on transgenderism when you walk into a room with your peers, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you get to high school, that's the rhetoric phase. They're learning to articulate it for themselves on their own. And at that point, you're kind of done with laying out the basics, which you do in elementary school, introducing them to the damaging ideas in middle school. In high school, you're functioning as a consultant. Your main job with your high school kids is stay connected, right? And that's very, very hard. I've got four kids. They're very, very busy. It's very hard to stay connected to them, but that is my top priority, right? So we really try to lay out these frameworks so that you can figure out what does this look like in my life and my city and my kids and their age and their personalities and all of that. And these really are like timeless principles that are going to be effective for you, but you do have to do the work. Yes, indeed. My guest is Katie Faust, author of a brand new book called Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. You know, I was thinking about you earlier today, and I was thinking about when I was a teenager and how, and I had good parents. My parents were divorced. My, I lived with my dad from 14 on. My mom's a great woman. At 14, she was my enemy, but that's a lot of 14-year-old girls, right, sometimes. But I, you know, I had my own social life, my own romantic life, my own, that my parents, I did not let my parents in on that. And how much better would it have been? And I'm not saying my parents were neglectful parents because they were not, but we mm -hmm. didn't talk about these things. It was like, that's my private life. Mm -hmm. I'm not consulting you or asking you about any of this. And I think a lot of parents do cede that ground. Right. So they're, and they go, oh, well, they have to have their privacy, which I understand some, you know, there's always a balancing, but parents don't know anything their kids are doing sometimes. Right. Well, and we've enabled that with this completely online world, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then coupled that with, unfortunately, an entire political party, an entire progressive ideology that is targeting our children for discipleship. Like that's mm -hmm. really what they're doing. Right. They're seeking to evangelize our children into a specific worldview, into a specific lifestyle, into a specific way of viewing their their world around them, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be very purposeful about laying the foundation for them in terms of the truth and beauty, introducing them to challenging concepts like this so that they know that we are the expert. They know we're not going to flip out. Like we talk about in the book. Right. One of our rules is what we call the no flinch rule. I was going to get to that next, oh. but I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that is, no, talk about that. That is such an important, there should be a whole book on that. Oh my gosh. So yeah. important. And really what it is is, I think parents have probably always had little freakouts when their kids have come to ask them questions like, where do babies come from? You know, right. but the freakout opportunities are just daily. If you're raising kids today, <laughs> if they have any kind of contact with the right. culture, if they're not in a, you know, a, a very, like you said, bubble wrapped world, they're going to come back to you with things like, you know, why did that little boy have two daddies instead of a daddy and a mommy, right? Mm -hmm. when he's six and you're, you know, in your mind, you're going, I can't believe this culture right. that is exposing my kids to this. you know my teacher said that um you know boys can wear dresses which is one thing that my third grader came home and told me you know my teacher said that boys can wear dresses and it's very very important like one of the biggest six the biggest things about raising kids in a hostile culture is you have to remain connected to them they have to love 
talking with you and asking you questions. That's essential. Right. That is essential. And so even if they're bringing something to you, especially if they're bringing something to you that is disturbing or challenging, you want your child to associate bringing it to you with relief. That's right. A parent has to be the safe place in their lives. That Not that you're going to agree with everything necessarily, right. but they need to know that no matter what, they can come to you with these things. And if you freak out, even if you're not freaking out at them, mm -hmm. if you have this huge emotional eruption, right. what you're doing is communicating to the child, you're going to have to get through an awful lot of mom being pretty upset before you get the information that you need about this. Right. right? If they say, you know, Jamie said, my, my girlfriend, Jamie said that she has a crush on me, your daughter. And I don't know what to think about that. And if you just launch into this tirade about, oh, this sick culture, I can't believe Right. Do you think that that is going to pave the way for your daughter to come ask you those questions in the future? Your daughter probably is trying to figure this out on her own. Do you want her to process it with you or the Internet? Because those are the options right now. And right. you want her processing with you. So we talk about how you have got to have a game face. No matter what you're thinking in your brain of like, you have got to be effing kidding me. Rah, rah, rah. Your face needs to say, Thanks for letting me know. Where did you hear that? I'd love right. to hear more. Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel? You know, I faced questions like that too. And it really bothered me. I mean, like that is so important. Yeah. We have all kinds of tactics all through the book of how do you stay connected? How do you make sure that there are no barriers between you and your child? Because it is a hostile world. None of us, we, we don't have any illusions about the kind of hostility, distortion, and damage that this woke ideology is going to try to visit on our children. Right. And you have to be the primary discipler. You have to be the place where they're getting the most information. You have to be the source of yeah. the closest connection, right? Because they need to have that constant ongoing communication with you when they're two, when they're 12, even when they're 22. You know, we've, I've got a kid that's heading to college and it's still, that's in college and still very important for her to know that I'm not going to freak out if she brings something to me that she's uncertain about. Yeah, that's so important that you have that you constantly keep that line of communication open. And most parents, you know, they try, but then they give up and then, you know, there's some kind of problem and their kid feels like they're being judged and you've just yeah. got to keep that going. I was thinking about a situation with some kids that I babysit on occasion and one of them said something about someone giving them money or something. Hmm. I said, whoa, whoa. I said, hmm. I said, so tell me a little bit about that. You know, I said, so-and-so gave you money and he told you not, you know, I, I cleared it up. But as soon as I heard that, but I didn't, I was like, oh, let's go get him. And I go, so what happened? And then what happens to you? Yes. And what did you say after that? And oh, okay. And okay. And it turned out it wasn't anything, but I just, but you got to be calm and ask mm -hmm. questions and not feel like, let them feel like they're inter being inter interrogated, obviously, but they've, you've got to get information. It's very difficult. You also talk about uh, the founder's principle, which is kind of what we've been talking about anyway, being there as the first expert for your, in your child's mm -hmm. life on all of these kinds of things. And, and, and listen, we don't expect a parent to be an expert on everything, but these teachers aren't either. They're just doing what the teachers union tells them to do. Yeah. And they're telling children things like it's okay to be trans or have surgery or have, uh, you know, these pills. And you and I have seen pictures of what those surgeries look like. We yeah. know what those pills can do. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, this, they should, they could have Nuremberg trials about this kind of thing, right? It, it's, it's yeah. un unbelievable to me. But if you are the, the you know, the expert, that's where they're going to go. Can't be yeah. that to death enough. That's exactly right. And you know what we're saying when we talk about the founder's principle and getting to kids first, I'm not saying describe in detail graphic pornography. Of course not. I'm saying that you need to say to your seven-year-old, hey, 
I know that there's a lot of screens in your world. And sometimes there's something that pops up on those screens where you'll see somebody naked or you'll see a, a video of people that are naked together. And it's going to make you feel kind of yucky. That's mm -hmm. called porn. And mm -hmm. if that happens, honey, just put the phone down and come let me know. That mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about. Get to them first. Right. And now yeah. the world, and I would actually say like woke teachers, especially they understand the founder's principle. They understand that if they right. get to your kid first with the gingerbread man, you know, the genderbred man, right, or the gender unicorn, if they're the first people to talk to your kids about sex and gender, they are now the experts. Mm -hmm. And that is why they are making these pushes into early and earlier years, because right. they understand that if the school introduces this, the school is the authority. Absolutely. So we always say, you know, we repeat in the book, this phrase from our friends over at an organization called Canebox, better a year too early than five minutes too late. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to talk with your kids about these things. And it's, it's way sooner than you should have to talk to them, but it's much better that you do it than the internet does it or their woke friend does it or their activist teacher does it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's critical that you get to your kids first. Right. Because remember that, and you, you, the things that you and I were never exposed to as children, kids are, can, can see on their, their friend's smartphone if they want right. to, you know, I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing. A lot of, but they, there are parents who love their kids and care a lot. Other parents don't, don't really care what their kids see. Some don't, and some just aren't aware. And so right. they have no idea what their child's looking at. You also talk and that's that this is really important too, about, you know, obviously smartphones for little kids, you know, big no-no, right? But you talk about the developmental window. I know when I do like nursery in my church, I don't let them watch TV because I only have them like an hour and a half a week. I'm like, no, you're not watching TV. I want to see you do the blocks. I want to see you do something else. I want to see you skirmish, form alliances and break those alliances 20 minutes mm -hmm. later, whatever it is yeah. that little kids do, right? But you're not watching TV because they just go, huh, they zone out. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you talk in the book about the smartphone and the developmental window, which I think is extremely important for people to hear about. Well, my husband and I had the fortune and misfortune of parenting our first child um, next to one of the preeminent parenting experts in um, the country. His name is Foster Klein. He wrote Parenting with Love and Logic. Mm -hmm. And we made so many mistakes in front of him. I mean, it was not... Uh, he thankfully gave us some very good principles and we figured out our parenting philosophy soon after. But he said to me, you know, one time I was going to let my daughter like watch something while we ate dinner or something so that we could talk. And he said, no, don't do that. No screens before age six. And he said, and it's not because she's going to stumble upon porn or there's going to be explicit content. The problem is that between the ages of two and six, that is the industrious phase where children learn to produce. They learn to create. They learn to... Um, make things in their own world, right? And if they consume, they won't produce. If right. they fill that window with consumption, which is viewing, receiving through screens, it it forces them to a place of inaction. Mm. And if they don't learn to be industrious in that two to six window, good luck teaching them to be industrious after they're six. And he's like, you will doom yourself to a life of your kids going, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, because they never learned to simply make the fun with wherever they went. So thank God he got to us when our daughter was about two and we were able to severely limit screens for our kids when they were younger. Right. Um, and, and then I would take my kids over to people's houses and they're like, oh, we don't have any toys. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. They'll make fun. They will create their fun wherever they're with whatever raw materials are in their world. Like they learned to be industrious and wow. create their own fun, literally because we starved them of consumption at those ages.
My guest is Katie Faust. The new book is Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Speaking of consumption, there are days that I'll sit around and watch YouTube videos as much as I hate them or something else because I just don't feel like creating. I just want to sit around and consume. So that can be something any of us can fall into at any age. And uh, it can be, you know, obviously not very productive. I am totally guilty. I need a Twitter intervention. I mean, yeah. let me be honest. I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> X. I'm on X too much. Oh, please. But yeah. sometimes, you know, my 15-year-old will say, and I've got really good kids. I'm very connected to them. They're doing a great job of managing their life. But he'll say, hey, can I do video games with my friend? Um, and I'll say, produce something first. At first, mm. you need to produce something. Right. You know, before you consume, produce. And right. so he'll sit down and he'll, he's a great artist. So he'll sit down and he'll draw for an hour and a half, right? He'll right. sit down and oh, he'll great. go, you know, cut the grass or something. And so even as teenagers, uh, I'll use that metric. What have you produced today? Before right. you consume, produce something. Isn't that true? Because you can just become a complete couch potato. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me about that Canavox. I did not know about this organization until I read about it in your book. And I've since looked into it. It looks like a great one. I have been working with Canavox for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess nine. They've, they're 10 years old. I love them. So what I love about Canavox is it is um, it's very easy entry. Anybody can do it. It's not fight club, right? You go, you get a bunch of like-minded friends together. You study all of these topics, cohabitation, divorce, pornography, same-sex marriage, reproductive technologies, friendship, same-sex attraction, the meaning of marriage, intimacy in marriage, sex ed. I mean, you're doing all the things that are in our faces all the time. And it literally just teaches you to be an expert in this super like free speech zone where you can process it with your friends. We give you the materials, we train you, we give you leader guides. Um, It is free, everybody should do it. We're in like 39 different countries. The material is incredibly solid. A lot of the work that I can do as a children's rights activist where I study all of these manifestations of modern family, much of that I got through a foundation of learning at Canavox. So uh, I just am a big fan of theirs. And what I love is it is it is the grassroots of grassroots. It is just right where you are in your living room, canavox.com. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'll put a link up there for people to need to check that out. Another thing you mentioned in the book, and once again, the book is called Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Fantastic book. And it's funny, and you have great examples of things you've dealt with with your kids. Other people have dealt with with their kids. Like, they say this, you say that. They say, I mean, you're not trying to script anybody's life, but it it really does help, all that kind of thing. Uh, Also, you made a point, and I guess we've mentioned it before, but I want to mention again, it's really important. You want a child who's going to run to you, not run from you. And I go back to my high school years when, had you know, parents loved me very, very much, but I kept a lot of things private from either I thought they'd be disappointed or you just you have your own life. A lot of teenagers do. And I don't think that's healthy for anybody. And we don't have the luxury. We don't have the luxury. I mean, I think that growing up has always been challenging, but we've never had like um, officially crowned adults who have been commissioned to go out and get our kids and evangelize them into a world and a a perspective of their selves and their bodies that will destroy them, literally destroy them. Right. Mm -hmm. With the, like all of the validation and affirmation of like a major political party in the United States. Right. Right. We don't have the luxury of just having a hands-off. Now that is not to say that you're controlling everything about your kids. 
There should be high direction, high control, high investment in terms of information in the early years. And then there should be a slow release. Unfortunately, American parenting has this exactly backwards, right? There is now this movement with young kids for like free range kids, right? Let your kids self-direct. You've got like parents that are letting their four-year-old determine their gender, right? Mm -hmm. And then put them on a, a social transition path as a result. That is the opposite, right? And then all these kids who have never had constraints, never had consequences, never had boundaries or direction, they're totally out of control when they're in high school. And then the parents realize, oh my gosh, they wrecked the car. We have to then uh, apply constraints. Good right. luck. Good yeah. luck applying constraints to your teenagers. The time when they're developmentally ready for high direction consequences, discipline yeah. is in those early years. So there should be higher levels of constraints when they're young, and then the process is just a slow release. So by the time they get to high school, they're managing their life. Like I'm not packing any of my kids' lunches or doing any of their laundry or giving them money or telling them how to spend their money. They're, you know, they're spending their time. They're choosing their classes. I, all I do is I fill out registration forms. That's literally half my life. I just fill out <laughs> registration forms. So like by, by the time your kids are in middle school and high school, they have, you have taught them self-governance. So that is just another kind of general parenting principle. And it's true in the worldview formation world as well. High constraints when they are young, massive information about the good and the true and the beautiful on all the different subjects that we outline in the first chapter of our book. Cause we're not just teaching kids to be against the left or yes. anti-woke. We are teaching them to be for the best ideas Absolutely. that are reflected in biology, economy, the um, economics and history, right? right? We're teaching them to be for those things and to conserve those best ideas. Mm -hmm. And there is a massive amount of investment in those early years. And then you slowly expand their world, worldview wise. And then you get to the point where you're not doing a lot of directing. You're sitting back and you're enjoying your children navigating the world, both in terms of their independence, but also in terms of their you know, convictions. Yeah, it's very important. And you talk about that in the beginning of the book. And you mentioned conservatism requires you, as you said, to understand what you are for. It's not just about being against something. And going back to the kid thing, you know, people forget you're raising someone else's husband, wife, boss, parent. You're not raising a child who's never going to leave your home. You have to raise a child who's self-sufficient, who knows how to do the laundry, who knows how to make a meal or two, who knows how to function. They get to college, they can't pick their classes because they haven't picked them in middle school or high school. I mean, you're always there if they need you. Right. They've got to learn this. And you know what's so scary about this, Katie? The bigger issue is the reason kids are have so much anxiety now or they're depressed. I, I mean, did you ever know a kid who was on anxiety medicine when you were a child? I knew no one who took yes. any of that stuff. And it's because we've got them believing they can't do anything in the real world. And that's why they're so upset. Yeah. We, we did youth ministry. My husband and I did youth ministry for a long time before we had kids. Um, and then even when we had kids and we were doing youth ministry, we've got to see these two extremes of this total laissez-faire parents are not directing involved at all. And their kids just were going nuts, right? They had no ability to manage themselves. But then we saw the parents who were high constraint, complete sheltering, never exposing their kids. And those kids like did not know how to navigate the world at all, right? They were completely handicapped. They needed their parents for everything. And so we decided we are going to shepherd our children through everything that they're going to face in the world while they're in our home. 
right? We're not going to, they're not going to get to college and be like, what evolution? I've never even considered this. You know, they're not going to be shocked by, you know, all of these yeah. different, you know, they they know how to deal with people calling them terrible names for standing up for their convictions. They're right. not going to wither Even when they encounter right. opposition, right? So in that sense, actually, this world does do you a bit of a favor because it forces you to create resilient children. You're mm -hmm. going into it with the expectation that they're not going to be able to just coast by. They need to be ready. They need to have the arguments. They need to have these talking points in place. They need to at least have some familiarity with the issues. So my kids generally know enough to be like, um, okay, they're lying. I don't know why they're lying, but they're lying. And they come home and they say, um, was Manifest Destiny a racist document? Because that doesn't seem right to me. And then mm -hmm. we say, okay, let's research that, right? So they know enough to be like, something doesn't smell right here. Right. And mm -hmm. that actually raises pretty resilient kids. Here's the other thing. Teenagers love to be know-it-alls. It actually does sort of work with the grain of teenagers to want to like be the boss and know it all. I mean, it's great when they, even if they're the only person in their classroom who understands embryology and when life begins and the six defining characteristics of what makes something alive, um, they'll be able to stand on their own because they're like, no, I, I know what I'm talking about. You guys have talking points. You guys just have mantras that you repeat, but you don't know how to stand up to scrutiny and I do. Right. That's what's so important. It, it is. And there are too many people out there sheltering their kids and they just feel as if if I just protect them from this, then they're not going to be exposed to it. And that is crazy. And like you said, you know, earlier and earlier and earlier, they're hearing something on the bus, in the classroom, on the mm -hmm. playground, something like that. So you've got to equip them. And it's not even, it's just about teaching them the values, the things that five years ago we would have gone, oh, come on, that'll never happen. Right. I right. mean, the rapidity at which this society is degenerating is mm -hmm. stunning to me. I, I'm just, mm -hmm. I, I just stand there and just aghast at times. Well, the good news is that, I, you know, I, I wasn't raised as a Christian. I became a Christian late in high school. And I, I had the sense from my Christian friends that they would look at the church and they'd be like, well, the church is kind of backwards and the church is not really scientific. And I can't really ask honest questions. If I ask hard questions at church, the answer is the Bible said it. I believe it. That settles it. Like they didn't really feel like they could get good information. The world seemed so you know, appealing and scientific and intellectual, and that's where they could really dive in and ask hard questions. It is not that yeah. way today. Today, the church is the place that you're getting information and explanations that line up with the nature of reality. It's the church where you can actually ask questions, and hopefully that's what your home is like as well. It's the church where you can be free to express a dissenting opinion. You know, it's the church that's going to be able to work this out with you and reason and that, and you as the parent need to do that too. You need to be able to work this through. It needs to be more than just, well, this is what the Bible says. It needs to be, and this is why it's so good. Right. And so that is actually something that I think really benefits kids is, well, this culture has gone so insane. Like you said, five years ago, 10 years ago, we would just be laughing at some of the things that we're talking about. But I know that for my kids, they look at the culture, they scroll through Instagram, and they're like, these guys are nuts. And sanity, sanity is found in my home, at my church, mm -hmm. in this worldview, right? right? This cohesive worldview okay. mm -hmm. that actually connects to reality. Their worldview, their ideas are disconnected from reality. Mm -hmm. And the damaging effect of defunding the police or, you know, helping the homeless by having safe injection sites or whatever it is. My kids know exactly 
what those ideas result in because they drive past them every single day. Right. So it's the world, the culture is is crazy, but it just means that the truth shines a lot brighter, a lot sooner for these kids. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And then you, you hear these stories online every day. I don't want to pick on anybody. And I'm not going to mention any names or situations, but you know, where people will send pictures of their private parts to someone they think oh, no. is a girl. I just read a story the other day and you've seen it too. And then this young, this beautiful young kid killed himself. He thought his world was over because these hackers were fake and they were going to, they were trying to, you know, basically extort him. You hear these stories and these are all the kind of things that you can circumvent if you're a parent and you're on it and you teach your children, this is a fake world. Putting something online one time can, you know, show up forever. Google lives forever. You can't yeah. do these kinds of things. And it just, it, it just tears you up. One mistake can be, you know, in some kids' lives, it's, it, or they, they believe what's on Instagram, where they believe what's on Facebook, this curated version of people's lives. And it sounds like your kids aren't. And thank God for that. That doesn't come easily. That that takes a lot of work. No, you fight for it. You build it up. You start, you know, you start when they're small. I mean, the minute, the minute you can have a conversation, you start worldview training. Yeah. But then that's not enough. You don't just download information to them. You also have to stay present and connected. You have to be the safe place for them to ask all of these questions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to kind of evaluate kid by kid. Like we talk in the book about how kids are different, mm -hmm. right? Boys are different from girls. Girls are different from other girls. Like yeah. you really do have to tailor make your educational program based on where your kid is at. That takes being incredibly connected and in tune a team, if you're married, you know, hopefully you guys are on the same page about this and then you can tag team. Very, very important because like you said, the stakes are so high yeah. for kids right now. The destruction is so devastating and the forces are so strong. And especially if you're in public school or in a woke city, they're omnipresent. They're everywhere. Right. But the amazing thing is the power of a connected parent who is giving them good information at age appropriate stages your kids don't have to be victims of culture. They can triumph over culture. Yeah. And if you can do it in Seattle, people can do it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We thought if we can do it in Seattle with our kids going to public school, anyone can do this. Katie, you're my hero. I mean, I, I love watching you on Twitter. People can find you at advo, A-D-V-O underscore K-A-T-Y, advo Katie on uh, Twitter. And I'll, of course, uh, and the information is also, and by the way, I want to plug your other book, Then Before Us, your whole foundation. You've got the foundation on this, uh, Then Before Us. People need to read that book too. But I'm, I'm so glad that you're staying in this. I'm so glad you've written another great book. And this is really important because parents are looking for solutions and they're not going to find them in the public schools or in the mainstream media. And they're looking for like, what do I do? What do I say when they say this? And this is a great how-to book. And I'm so glad you wrote it. And so great to talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Another cultural hero. We need a lot more like her, don't we? Check out her book. All the information is going to be up on the description of this podcast. Please tell somebody about the Don't Shrink Back podcast and video series. You can find us at don'tshrinkback.com. Information and stories and all kinds of cool stuff at don'tshrinkback.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Never forget, God's got it. And don't shrink back.
Remember that you can find videos that we're doing, uh, the video version of this and the podcast, all at don'tshrinkback.com, don'tshrinkback.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, don'tshrinkback.com. And of course, you can suggest guests there too at don'tshrinkback.com. I'm Heidi Harrison. Until we meet again, remember, God's got it. And don't shrink back. Don't shrink back.